Welcome to The Secret Life of Cookies, where we try to solve the world's problems through the miracle of carbohydrates, one recipe at a time, with host Marissa Rothkoff and her dog, Bosco. Hello, and thanks for joining me on The Secret Life of Cookies today. Oh boy, we have a very special episode uh, packed with genuine news you can use thanks to our incredible guest, Valerie Monroe, the beauty director of O Magazine for 16 years and veteran journalist. We talk about the dramatic impact on journalists, thanks to the seismic shifts, I guess you'd call them, in the world of magazines. And of course, come on, I bombard her with beauty questions, including what are the biggest frauds perpetrated against women and men by the beauty industry, and also genuine tips. We get genuine tips from her on how to feel better and more beautiful inside and out. Yes, inside too. Anyway, I hope you will enjoy the episode as much as I enjoyed speaking with Valerie Monroe. And by the end, I trust and promise you will feel more beautiful inside and out. Thank you so much for joining us. And just a bit of housekeeping, all the recipes for the podcast and links can be found on my Substack newsletter at marissarothkoff.substack.com. You can support my work, please, with a subscription for $5 a month, or if that's not possible yet, you can subscribe for free. And don't forget to join Deep State Radio as a member for special perks, including special subscriber content in this episode. Either way, I am grateful for your support. Hello, and welcome to The Secret Life of Cookies. Today, my guest is Valerie Monroe, who um, was the beauty director at O Magazine for 16 years. You are a veteran. I'm telling you what you are, and you are a veteran journalist, an inveterate supporter, I would say, of the inner beauty, almost being as important as the outer beauty, but we'll get to that. Um, And you are now host of the wildly popular Substack, one I look forward to. Every time it pops into my inbox, it's seriously true because it provides such a, it's, it's such a source of information. Um, and it is called how not to F up your face, except it's not spelled EFF. It's spelled F star asterisk CK. Um, philosophical and practical advice for anyone who has ever looked in the mirror, which ranks probably a lot of us. Why did so welcome and why did you um after years in journalism what moved you to Substack for those who don't know briefly what Substack is it's basically a newsletter platform um that has been embraced by a lot of us journalists um because we can earn money uh hopefully uh, we get subscribers and we're our own editors managing editors and copy editors. Uh, what what sent you to Substack? First, just let me say I love your Substack. You're very too, sweet. I have to say, you know the way it, the way you combine baking, which is something that I um, I'm not very good at, with you know fun, um, um, interesting historical information. It's kind of it's kind of like what I try to do in my own way on my Substack too. And, and Substack gives us the opportunity to do exactly what we want without the constraints of, in my case, in a, a beauty writing or writing that has to do with beauty, 
um, the interference of advertising. So um, one of the reasons that I love writing for Substack the way I do now is that I'm not, I don't accept any um, affiliates or any kind of partnerships. Uh, I've turned away some lucrative uh, offers, um, but I do that because I want my reporting to be free of obligation. So um, readers know, and I think one of the reasons that readers are happy to read my my posts about beauty issues is that um, they know that they're getting my honest opinion or my resources, my doctor's, a doctor's honest opinion without um, any kind of uh, influence, you know, or need to try to be selling something. Uh, which no, is no it's fun, no fun. And it is a constraint when you're working in a magazine about, you know, having to worry that, you know, a vino is on the next page and you, and, and if you, and maybe a vino is the best product, but then it just looks like you're shilling for a vino. So that's um, really one of the, gr- one of the great things. Your writing style is brilliant. And it just is so, so um, you are the wise friend that I'm always saying, this is what you need when you're tone of, when you're writing your tone of voice, be the wise friend. And you are the wise friend and you have a sense of humor and you make me feel good about myself, which is really better than any therapist. If they're listening, you've been great, but better than any therapist I've had. So I really, I mean that from the bottom of my parts. So, <laughs> so that's so important to me because I, you asked why I, I think you just asked why I went into this and after, after leaving the magazine industry. And it's because, uh, because I, I need to feel that on some level or in some even very small way, I'm providing a service. You know, that is why I got into the magazine industry in the first place when I was in my early twenties, because I thought it was a great opportunity to help women understand various cultural, you know, issues, whatever kinds of issues, um, in a better way. And I, I worked in, uh, at women's service magazines mostly, which was our goal, basically. If you if you worked at a good women's service magazine, as I did, the goal was always to provide readers with information that they could that would be useful, that would be helpful to them in their domestic lives, their philosophical lives, their intellectual lives. Um, and when I chose to leave the magazine industry because it had changed in a way that made it impossible for me to want to continue to work there. Uh, in other words, um, just briefly. I quit in 20, I quit the magazine sadly in 2017 because I was, um, I was kind of being forced to work more for the publisher, the, the advertising people than for the editorial people. And at that point, the, the, the industry had devolved to such a degree that, um, you know, the advertising people didn't really understand anymore what the point was. So, I mean, except to make money. And that was just, you know, un- untenable for me. And a friend, um, and I thought I might write a book. Um, unfortunately, um, it's hard to, very hard to sell a book, as you might know, uh, especially if uh, the publisher doesn't know how to sell it, right? And so my agent sent my, um, my proposal around to many, like 12 book editors, and they all said, oh, we love this idea, but we have no idea what to do with it. She needs a social media platform. And I had noticed that there were various other beauty editors um, who had got book contracts, but the the common uh, thread was that they had, you know, millions of followers on social media. I had no interest in that, in developing that. And so I said, to hell with it. And, um, and a dear friend suggested that I look into Substack, which I did. And I started writing and I started out with 200 subscribers on Facebook. I just said, you know, like, would you be interested in, in this? 
And uh, as they say now, I have tens of thousands of subscribers. And it's all word of mouth, which is another wonderful thing. You know, it's because it means that the community is very strong. And you can see that. I'm sure you see it, too, in the, in the comments. Um, and, um, and I think particularly for women my age, and I, I think I'm significantly older than you, it's nice to have a group of women to talk about or to, you know, confer about something as um, something like appearance issues that we're not that comfortable often don't talk about. I, I agree with you on about 25 different levels. One, I taught about service journalism yesterday in class, tried to teach them what service journalism was and the, the reason it's actually real journalism and um, feel the same way you do about the how advertising as a necessity to keep a magazine alive in a sense, crossed, crossed boundaries, you know, um, most recent, uh, more, well, recently. And um, the Substack community has been, you know, even when I was, you know, writing reviews for the New York Times for restaurants or whatever, in a sense, they get thrown out into the void, you know, and I would hear from various people, my mom liked them, you know, that sort of thing. And I would hear from various people about them. But with my Substack, I have this real community of people who I feel I'm getting to know them, they're getting to know me. And I learn from them. And it's, a, it's just, I found it so much more satisfying than probably almost any other journalism I've done. Totally, totally. Yeah. And, you know, um, I mean, except that when I was at the Oprah magazine, um, I got tons of reader email. So, I mean, that, that, this is comparable to that in some way. Which is, like, if the New York Times is listening, though, I'm more than happy to write for them. And I do have a few pitches, so you'll be getting them, but still. <laughs> yeah, right. And good luck hearing back from them. I have but, to say, the, right? but, but to the point of trying to pitch a book, I don't know if people understand how really difficult it is right now. And especially when they're like, you really need a social media platform. And you're like, okay, should I poach chicken and NyQuil and go on TikTok to get someone's attention? Um, do I... I am not a stunning blonde who can, you know, is five foot up 14 and I'm not good at math. Anyway, um, who can stand there and like reveal my bosoms and be like, would you like to make brownies with me? That was my millennium impersonation. And um, so it's, it's a little hard, right? You know, you, you have to develop a shtick or you have to do this. And Twitter is falling apart. And it's, should I really be like, begging should my jewish self be begging to get on that anti-semitic platform and and on threads i'm like hi hi look at me and it gets to be um, by the way i'm on threads at marissa roth um and yeah, right, <laughs> good yeah. for you i can't i'm like still stumbling around in that jungle i have to say you know though about the book i i have no interest in writing a book now because i've written a couple of books sitting in my own apartment by myself day after day getting no feedback from anyone and like begging to hear back from an, my my editor it just doesn't compare to what's happening now when I'm still sitting alone in my apartment writing all day but all day long I'm getting emails from people saying I love you so much I couldn't I don't know what I would do without you you helped me so much I mean what I, it doesn't compare to anything it's fabulous 
Uh, the one thing I have to say that I need to remember about this is intention because, because, uh, getting, um, positive, uh, you know, response all the time, um, does sometimes kind of di- distract me from my intention, which is bottom line. I know this sounds lofty, but especially in the, you know, in the beauty industry was basically to do good, you know, and so all I need to do is to just keep doing what I'm doing. And then whatever happens, happens. But as my son said, you know, mom, if you keep writing, no matter how crappy it is, it, it's still going to grow. I'm like, well, thanks for the inspiration, honey. But, you know, he's right. <laughs> uh, I, I, <laughs> I I don't want to agree with him because I think your writing is so good and it's not ever going to get crappy. But um, uh, I speaking of intentions, um, my intention today is also to bake with you, which is one of the intentions of this uh, podcast. And um, I am doing something I don't normally do, but I am decided to go into the Trader Joe's, which we all sort of have as a small, it's sort of like a small church for many of us. It's a religious experience. And uh, I'm going to try some of their baking mixes and see if, if it's worth it. And here today I'm going to do the, and it certainly sounds worth it, brownie truffle baking mix. Right? Wow. Made with, yeah. And it's really? Trader Joe's. It's not even some offensive name like Trader, whatever that got them into trouble. And, um, where do the, tr- where does I the truffle come that from? I'm not supposed to overbake it. And I, I'm, uh, but is it like truffle flavor? It's just going to be like it? a dense, like chocolate. It should be. I, that's what I'm expecting. And so that's going to be part of my review here. Um, all it requires here. And that's also why it's great for this is melted butter. This, which smells Ooh. like cocoa cocoa and milk really and it's a lot of mix and then okay. two eggs and all i have to do is stir while you tell me things um but it does wow you could have, have done, done that. that i'm sure you could um oh. and i was thinking I, you travel to japan a lot you could bring these and like entertain your grandchildren and you know grandchild with these things look <laughs> grandma can bake um I there's no no shame in using a mix if the mix is good um, normally I would add things to a mix mm-hmm. though, cause I can't help. And I would add vanilla and I would add more chocolate chips because, because I don't have to finish the sentence. Um, mm-hmm. but instead I'm going to mm-hmm. do it as they say and see what happens. Um, will it be done? Will it be done by the time we finish talking? To- okay. So you'll have to get into, um, and we're being joined right now by my cat. Who's like, Oh, this is hygienic. Can I come and smell your food? Don't I, I don't serve food that a cat has been near. Don't worry, people. Um, to the point that we mentioned earlier about how you've made me feel better and you've been better than any therapist. How much of being a beauty editor is being a therapist for people? Mm. So, um, from my point of view, it's uh, you know ninety five percent. Um, although it, I'm always surprised at how um, how much readers enjoy getting product recommendations. Nothing, There's nothing like it. We do they just yes. love it as a reader. Right? Yes, yeah. So I'm always I'm always trying to uh, to include some product recommendations. But the problem with that for me is that I don't really like to try stuff. So you know, if somebody sends me, I, I first of all, I, I often discourage people from sending me things, which. Um, when at the magazine, I never would have done because we have this enormous beauty closet here. I'm in a smallish apartment and I just have no room for it. I hate clutter. 
Um, and so I'm limited. And plus, I have a skincare routine, and I I'm happy with it, and I've always been happy with it. So I'm I'm unlikely to try new new products. Um, but when I've noticed that when somebody does send me something and I really like it and I like it enough to recommend it, I get a huge response, which means that it's something that I should try to include more often, I think. But about being, a, you know, kind of like a therapist, I actually, by the way, I, I um, started um, at NYU uh, to get my MSW because I, at some point after I left the magazine, I think it was after I left the magazine. Or, or no, while I was still there, but towards the end of my tenure there, I decided that I wanted to become a therapist. And, um, and actually, it was before I got the job because my son was headed off to college and I was taking courses um, toward an MSW. And then the Oprah job came up and I had to choose between the, uh, the uh, MSW degree and, um, and a job that was fairly lucrative. And of course I took the job. Um, but I do feel now, you know, because, um, I have the opportunity to try to help women understand, um, the deleterious effects of beauty culture that are probably, or uh, are often unconscious responses on our part, um, that, um, if they can understand them better, basically I'm kind of raising their, hoping to raise their consciousness about it. By the way, my first job was at Ms. Magazine in the early 70s, which was one of the best jobs in magazine journalism ever. I was a letters editor eventually. Yeah, during the time, right after Jane O'Reilly had written the, the uh, you know, click um, uh, essay about, basically it was about women waking up all across the country. Um, anyway, so having the opportunity to carry on in that um, mode, um, I think is really, really important. And I, and, you know, I wouldn't say that, um, that I am, I, that my posts have actually helped women understand themselves better, except that I get responses from readers saying, you know, I never thought of that before, or, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm seeing uh, age related changes in my face. I'm not happy with them. What do I do about it? I don't want to have filler. I don't want to have surgery, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and basically, you know, the one thing that I, that I try to tell everyone to get everyone to at least look at is to consider uh, mirror meditation, which is something that I kind of fell into, um, which is learning to, it's, it's learning how, to, it's an exercise that helps you learn how to see your own face without objectification, which is what most of my, most, most of us um, do all the time when we look in the mirror. Well, that's what we're taught to do from the time we start seeing ourselves. And, um, and when we can learn to, to, when we can unlearn how to look at ourselves by objectifying our faces, we can see our face just as we see the face of any woman we love, our mother, sister, best friend. And that takes all of the, the bias off it. So instead of seeing our face as a thing, we can learn to see our face as the thing that fronts the person behind it, obviously. You know, the, and basically, uh, we're we're allowing ourselves to experience our humanity, which is so important. It is. Um, how do you you? I mean, I was reading some of your um, old past essays, which really are very, very focused on the human, as opposed to the blemish, <laughs> which is what my nickname is for myself. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> oh no. 
<laughs> but you were talking um, that's um, talk about like normative um, discontent that it's that it's normal for women, and this was like what it's normal for women to be unhappy with the way we look, as if it were almost like in our chromosomes. And I'd love you to talk about that, but I'd also like as the mother of a daughter who was about to turn 21 years old. Oh my God, I had her when I was 10. Even then I'd still be, anyway. Um, uh, hey, my son's turning okay. 40, so <laughs> I, I don't want to hear about you. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I don't think I've done a great job being like, my God, look at you. I'm terrific, about myself, you know, like said, I've never not said it, probably a terrific example, although I've tried to be a modern woman and be like, take me, I'm yours. Um, but the negative, you know, negative comments slip out of about herself, come out of her mouth. And how much can we not control that? Or how can we control it? What should I do? I'm putting this in the oven. I want you to know these brownies took about four and a half seconds to make. Yeah. As soon as we get off, I'm running over to Trader Joe's to see if I can get this. Um, so I think... Yeah. One one of the things that's important to think about is that uh, the conflict is normal. Feeling conflictual about it, we all do, right? So to kind of like beat yourself up or to be unforgiving about, you know, uh, not being a perfect model for your daughter, um, it, you know, it's unfair. I mean, you're being very hard on yourself if you do that. And I think um, the reason we feel conflicted is because on many levels, we know better than to accept the the um, you know, cult, the cultural um, limitations, you know, the deleterious effects of the, of a beauty culture that has, um, you know, that is hypersexualized, that is totally youth oriented. But when you're being bombarded by images and by messages that are validating that, that um, concept all the time, it's impossible not to feel conflicted about it. That, that, um, uh, what you mentioned about, you know, it being normal for women to feel bad about the way we look was something that I had hoped you would bring up because um, I, I talked about it recently because there's there was a study that showed um, that psychotherapists were asked to rate the personality traits of a healthy woman, a healthy man, and a healthy person. And preoccupation with appearance, which is vanity, right, was rated normal for a healthy woman, but abnormal for a healthy man. And for healthy people in general. So that leaves women stuck in a damned if we do, damned if we don't situation. Because, you know, if we're aware that we're judged, right, by our appearance or our attractiveness, but then if we admit how deeply we value looking good, we're screwed, basically, because it means we're vain. So it's, it's, it's an impossible situation. Conflict is built into it. No one can tell, but my shoulders just sort of sank. Um, I'm sorry. So, like, so if you, if, I'm sorry, if I, if I, if we, I'm talking for women now in general because, damn, we're sort of screwed. Um, if if we want to switch the dialogue, you know, from self criticism to self compassion, and and you know, as I get older, I'm grateful to be getting older, but as I get older. The two, self-compassion and self-criticism, seem to be at war with each other. Can you solve all my problems? No, I mean, I realize I'm like, here, there's 
also because climate change is bad. Can you do something about that? You know, <laughs> just lay it all on you. But um, along with like mirror meditations, um, what is it that we, and not having a magnifying mirror. I thought that was one of the greatest tips I was reading. It's like, no, you don't need that. Maybe for plucking your eyebrows. In my case, I like it for eyeliner, but other than that, because I'm sort of blind, but other than that, don't need to see my pores, do I? You don't. And I think, I think, I think again, you know, accepting that the conflict is normal and also learning how to be kinder to ourselves is, is so important. And that involves, I mean, it involves internal things you do internally, right? Emotionally. So uh, that involves the mirror meditation thing where you look at yourself. And, and actually, you know, just to explain a little bit more about that, when you're staring into your own eyes, when you're doing this exercise, you're allowing feelings to come up. So basically, I um, equate it to deep listening. So deep listening is what you do with your, if you're a good friend, right? It's what you do with your best friends. You do the people you love to allow them to understand that they're being seen and heard. You can do that for yourself too. But most women don't because we see ourselves as objects, you know? And so I think one of the main things we need to learn how to do is to be able to listen to ourselves and to understand our conflict, to understand the, you know, the sad feelings we have about what happens as we age with our appearance, because let's face it, it involves a lot of loss. And, you know, especially if you were um, um, appreciated by whoever, by whoever standards as, you know, an attractive person when you're in your 20s, when you're in your 70s, it's an entirely different experience. And I think acceptance is key on, on so many levels. And it also happens to be one of the hardest things we can do. But I think it's possible to practice it. And when we practice it, we ultimately, even if it's just in a moment, can feel better about the way we feel about ourselves. I mean, there's no easy answer to it. It just, it requires attention. It requires um, compassion and, and uh, self-compassion and kindness to ourselves. And I, you know, I've always said, like, if you don't, if you, if you can't be compassionate with yourself, forget about being compassionate with other people. Because whatever whatever you're trying to give to other people isn't coming from the heart. It's coming from, uh, I don't know, where, intention or some kind of superficial um, behavior. I, that's really interesting. It's also, you know, would you talk to um, yourself the way you, you know, I don't ever talk, right? I don't talk to myself that, you know, I wouldn't talk to a friend the way I talk to myself. Exactly. If you can imagine, I mean, when you're, say, looking in the mirror and you're coming down on yourself or being hard on, on the way you look, if you can imagine saying those things to someone you love, that's a good way to, um, to recognize that you're not being fair to yourself, not being kind we, to yourself. We need to rework like the neural, the neural pathway in our brain. Basically, it's like a muscle. And that's a and, and like a mixed right. metaphor, way, but it's um yeah. <laughs> but you're you're absolutely right. And the more we do that, the easier it becomes. Um, you know, I mean, I remember uh, inter interviewing um, uh, the woman who wrote um, Nancy Elkoff. Oh God, am I saying her name wrong? She's a friend. She wrote Survival of the Prettiest. Etkoff, Nancy Etkoff. She wrote a book called Survival of the Prettiest many years ago. It's really, really good. 
And, um, and one of the things she says is that we have to learn how, as a culture, have to learn how to train ourselves to look at and appreciate beauty and in, in something other in women other than, you know, young, thin, pretty, white, whatever, you know, and we have to train ourselves to do that. But we have so much working culturally working against us in mainstream media and now in social media. It's just and, and whatever efforts are being made to be more inclusive are so, in my opinion, so superficial. And um, even when the intention is good, uh, the strides we're making are so um, sorry, you know, like, for example, the Martha Stewart thing about, you know, this 80 something year old woman being on the cover of Sports Illustrated in a bathing suit. I mean, there were people who said, great, you know, now we're seeing older women on, you know, and I'm thinking, number one, that's not what she looks like at all. Number two, why are we sexualizing her? You know, I mean, it's just, we were, we were only, um, I mean, they were only, um, you know, continuing to, um, to push forward these terribly damaging ideas. Ideals, and right? You know. Even at and at eighty, anyway, you're supposed to look like her. That uh, so, like, yeah, hurt me. That hurts. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, the whole aging gracefully idea is it's just one more way for us to have to do something that's you know more difficult. Right. Than and do you have a sense that other cultures like a, have a different approach to aging? I feel like I was just in the UK and they were there, like. I, I feel like they were going to give out like stickers and um, candy to women going through menopause. You know, it's like, let's do this. Yeah. Whereas here people are sort of willing to talk about it, but it's still um, it's quiet. Well, I think there's some of that here now too, although it's all yeah. marketing based. So yeah. it's like, well, who, yeah, yeah I, I money, saw right? creams for menopausal then- women, which I think I wrote you about. At CVS, and it's like, really? What right. does it do to me? That is different. Um, That's so, right. Yeah. And the answer is <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Just so you know. Um, but do you think there are different cultural approaches? Like, is there a country I should would be better off in? <laughs> you know, I just said to the guy who cuts my hair, I want to be, you know, 75 in Milan. The women, I'm, you know, there are class issues involved in this too. But you know, right? The it, when you look on 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 Instagram at picture at reels or pictures of you know older women in Italy, uh, even you know um, the ones who uh, you know when they're like in Sardinia or uh, Sicily and they're so tanned, their skin is like leather. They're just so like comfort seems so comfortable with how they look and you know maybe it's because i mean i don't know what that is except you know maybe their the food is so delicious there that that's all they're thinking about is food and not about the way they look but but you know overall i think the 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 pers- pervasive issues about you know striving towards some unrealistic ideal in most western cultures are very similar even in japan for example where i i thought I saw very little face work, right? And then I read somewhere that they were the fourth in plastic surgery. Probably it was just um, eyelid surgery, sadly, right? Um, but still, you know, I, in my, when I'm like wandering around the drugstores out there, it's the, the beauty products that they sell there are just, I mean, it's phenomenal. And they don't do anything different than the beauty, beauty products do here. They're all the same, basically. 
even some of the yeah, but I'll companies. wander through like the aisle of uh, there's a store on um, Lower Sixth Avenue in New or Sixth Sixth Avenue yes. and Tenth. It's a great yes. store. Yeah, near Bigelow. And, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. More fun than Bigelow to me because I'm like, there's all these the promise of great. It's a has it's an yeah. Asian market and oh, the promise of beauty is just everywhere, right? Um, it's yeah. Um, you know what's great about that about it, the Japanese beauty um, 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 accessories is nail clippers. They make the best nail clippers <laughs> in the world. I don't know why, but I when I like buy them. In what the what makes them good? There just because they. Well, first of all, they they they're um, contoured in a way that makes it easy to cut your nails, especially if you uh-huh. like them shortish. And they collect the nail when they, it doesn't fly all over the place. It goes into this little thing. And then when you're done with it, you can just. Why don't we have good things like that? That is Okay. Now I know what to look for. Uh, Yeah, we probably do. I've looked for, I don't know. Better than the things. Let's not talk about that. Let's not talk about nails while we're talking about food. Um, I want to, I want to quote something back. Oh, I wanted to actually interrupt myself to say, the thing about Italian women, I mean, didn't Sophia Loren say that herself about what is the secret to, to your beauty? And she's like spaghetti, you know, or you know, I just, <laughs> whatever it is. Uh, and, and you know what, when I look at their faces, they're, they're, they look their age. I mean, they're, they're aged faces. And somehow they're just so beautiful. I mean, I do think that the older we get, the more um, the more important style is. So, um, which also has to do with posture, which I think is super and super important. Somebody said to me, "Yeah, like, um, how do you you know not look invisible?" And my answer is always stand up straight and look people in the eye, and and also don't be so quick to speak. So if somebody asks you a question and you're not sure of the answer. Just look them in the eye. Don't say anything. It's very, very, it's a very powerful strategy. Ooh, thank you. I think that maybe that's a first class beauty secret because I think a lot of women of a certain age do feel uh, invisible. Um, I want to quote something at you um, because it does go on about, it does, I, I loved it about aging. And um, you write, the sagging skin, the thinning hair and bones, the decrepitude, which is a great word, decrepitude, what one friend calls the ick factor. It's hard to believe that's ever going to happen to robust, fructiferous you until it does. Then booga booga, you're old. Well, it happened to me. It happens to all of us. Um, (laughs) It can can really get us down. And I think a lot of us want to know the secrets to keeping it at bay. And I think um, in, a, in a few minutes, I want to switch into um, a lightning round of questions for you. What, how do we like handle the onslaught of possibilities from Botox to filler to, do we do this? How do you approach it? I think you had your own sort of journey with Botox. I did actually, yeah. Um, I started out, and this was many years ago. Um, I had made an appointment to have it done, and I got up to the, I went to the dermatologist's office, and I was filling out the form, and the form said something like, "Don't lie down for the next hour or something." I was like, "Oh my god!" And I 
didn't sign the form and I ran out. I left. I just hadn't, didn't have it done. And then I got up more courage, you know, read some more about it. And, um, and I had it done once and I, and I, I do it twice a year, maybe three times a year. And I don't, importantly, I don't do my crow's feet. I just do my forehead because I like a little lift on my eyebrows. I have very heavily hooded eyes. And so it keeps me able to see a little bit. And, um, and I, I had it done. And then a friend looked at me and said, wow, you look like well rested or something. You know, you look great. And I was like, that's it. I'm doing it. Yeah. So, I mean, that positive uh, reinforcement really has uh, a lot to do with my decision to have, to have th- some things done. I mean, my, my goal is to have pretty skin. So if I can. So everything I do is um, toward that goal rather than to look younger or to change the contours of my face. Um, Cause I, I'm actually, I'm writing about this for next week's post because I got a reader question about facial filler. And, um, and I, I don't like to encourage it because there's so much that can go wrong, especially when you don't have access to a brilliant and skillful dermatologist or plastic surgeon. And I don't know how many of us do, you know, and the way the way doctors are taught to inject is not um, not very good, I don't think. So in other words, you know, the, they're often taught to inject in ways that don't take into account all of the very, um, you know, nuanced issues that you have to be thinking about in terms of facial features, in terms of the musculature you know, that you must know about before you shoot anything into anybody's face, you know, so. That's concerning. um, Well, yeah, it is concerning, actually. Um, But uh, what was your question? No, I was asking, asking, you know, what we can do to um, make us feel like aging is in our control. Uh Uh-huh, to mitigate the feeling of loss of control. Um, I would say probably um, nothing uh, unless until you have confronted the fact that your face is going to change forever because you're organic, right? Because we're mammals, so nothing is going to stay the same, right? So that's the problem, obviously, the main problem with the anti-aging idea. Yeah, really. (laughs) Well, there are people who have chosen to try to, like, put their face in a kind of stasis and we know what that looks like. Right. So um, for me, like what I like to recommend is like tweaks. If you're interested in doing something, you know, to stay looking vibrant and healthy as you age, I would say number one, take the best care of your skin possible. And the number one ingredient to do that is sunscreen. So many of us, certainly people my age who, it's too late for, I mean, uh, we all use sunscreen now, or most of us do if we're thinking people. Um, but when we were in our 20s and 30s, probably didn't, right? And did the opposite, right? Cocoa butter and reflectors, right? So um, so now it's a matter of uh, assessing the damage that we've done and trying to mitigate that, right? And there are lots of ways to do that. I mean, the main thing is keep wearing sunscreen, but I'm often uh, suggesting to people that they try a retinoid because it's one ingredient that's been clinically proven over and over again to stimulate elastin, 
and collagen and to smooth fine lines and wrinkles, it works. So, um, if, and if you can't tolerate it because it does, um, cause your skin to, um, it can be irritating. Uh, it it yeah. increases cell turnover. Yeah, it can be irritating. What about, does um, it also work for guys? Different kinds like, of I mean, I don't mean to make this all about the ladies, but it's skin yeah. is skin, right? Mm-hmm. Well, except men's skin, facial skin is often thicker. And the reason Gross. I think that Sorry. we sometimes think that men's, <laughs> that men's skin looks better is because they shave. And so they're doing this constant exfoliation. So, um, so their skin can look somewhat more, um, you know, can look brighter. But I have to say, you know, there are a lot of women. I was who just going to say, and now that's say, cool. yeah, yeah. So, um, actually, when I was at the magazine, we were having an editorial meeting, and this there was like twelve just magnificent women sitting around this table, and one of them from the south revealed that her family for years had always shaved in secret in the shower. And I wrote something about that in the magazine and got, got a torrent of email from women saying, Oh, I've been doing that for years, secretly shaving their face in the shower. So, okay. Bless them. If that's what they do and it makes them feel good, there's nothing wrong with it. Your hair, your, your facial hair does not, doesn't grow back thicker, but um, somebody caught on because suddenly uh, dermaplaning became a um, you know very popular dermatological procedure treatment what is that shaving basically shaving your face so um you know it was just one of the ways that the uh, very creative marketing beauty marketing community took over something that had been clearly going on underground for years and made it not only acceptable but seductive and i think that's um uh before we switch to we have a um just for subscribers portion of the podcast. And we're going to switch to that in a moment in which I'm going to give you a lightning round of questions about beauty that I've gathered from my stable of friends um, who I think think like much of the world. So we'll do that. But um, how do we avoid other, I mean, I know someone's going to listen to this question and be like, you just don't listen but it's hard not to because it's seductive. How do we avoid the siren song of all those shelves at the CVS, which is almost alliterative, but there's so much there that has so much hope and promise. Yeah. Well, that's the problem is that it has hope and promise. And that's what the big beauty industry relies on to make money from us by, you know, by feeding our yearning, by encouraging us to feel dissatisfied or unsettled about the way we look. So all that stuff, I mean, um, some of it's good. I mean, you know, I, what I tell people is just not to spend a whole lot of money on it. So, you know, a drugstore moisturizer like CeraVe, um, which is what I use at night. Yeah. Which has, um, uh, niacinamide and other ingredients that are basically won't harm your skin and is a good moisturizer work just as well as the, you know, three, $400 moisturizers. What you're paying for when you're, when you're buying that kind of stuff is the packaging and the idea that if you use it, you're going to um, improve your complexion. The thing is, you know, like if I tell people that if you can afford it, it makes you feel good. Sure. Go ahead and buy it, but just don't, you know, enjoy the mood boost, but don't expect to see anything, um, you know, an improvement in your complexion. And I think just remembering that, you know, what the um, the opportunity is for marketers is to get us to open our wallets. It's not to be healthier or to look better. It's basically 
to make us feel unsettled about how we look so that we'll buy the next best thing. And, you know, that's what I find um, really sad about the, about the beauty industry and our, and our participation in it. And I, you know, with my mom, I, I used to tell her a million times, like, there are various creams that she would ask him, but doesn't that, she would see an advertisement, but doesn't that do that? And I would say, yeah, I just said yesterday, you know, but it's the promise. It's the hope and the promise. And it's very, and very think, powerful. And I think the uh, the hope and the promise, but also how, and as in your words, unsettling it is. It's meant to unsettle us. It's meant to sort of mess with us, to, um, to look at that. I mean, and some of these products are great, but like to look at an Olay product that's like, and if you apply this every night, this is going to happen to you. You're going to look like that 24 year old because she's advertising it, you know, um, I'm like, I can do it. Um, and I think that's a really, really good message. Yeah. Also, you know, I mean, the, the, the worst thing about that is that when you do it, when you buy that product and you try it and you don't achieve the results that are promised, then there are various, you know, you're going to feel various things. First, you're going to think, well, I'm not using it right, right? Then you might think, well, you know, I haven't used it long enough. Maybe I need something else. And then worst of all, you're going to think I'm beyond help, right? That's why the industry is so um, damaging because it makes, bottom line, you know, a lot of it just makes us feel bad about ourselves. And I find that really sad. And that's one of the things that I'm trying and to counter. That's the reason that you have so many followers of your Substack because it is so matter of fact and um, inspiring, you know, just to sort of stop, stop letting them unsettle us. Um, I'm going to open the oven now and look at these brownies one moment. Then we're going to switch to our lightning round. I think they're done at 25 minutes here and they look a lot like, brownies and smell delicious like chocolate so we'll see what happens i it but in the directions it actually says allow to cool for 30 minutes like tell me what to do with my warm brownies bossy uh anyway um i thank you very much for being here i'm going to switch now to you know become a member of the deep state radio podcast crew and you can um have access to all sorts of special content like this where i do a beauty lightning round with you, getting all our deep questions answered by you. So thank you all for, <laughs> you have as much time as you need. Um, so I thank you all to our listeners. And if you can become a member and then you get access to it all. Thank you for listening. Please sign up for Valerie Monroe's Substack at valeriemonroe.substack.com. You can find me at marissarothkopf.substack.com too. Do you see a trend here? Substack? the way of the future for journalists. Didn't we just say that? Anyway, um, you can also find me at Marissa Rothkopf Eats on Instagram and all sorts of places on social media. Anyway, if you're hanging around on threads, you can find me there too. Please give me a follow at Marissa Rothkopf Eats. Thanks and have a great week.